you're listening to What They What They What They What They Talking. A podcast that talks about lifestyle, culture, technology, politics, Hollywood, business, stocks. So you can get your money. Let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of What They Talking. It is Wednesday, April the 28th. And we're going to do things just a little bit differently today. Usually we have three stories for you in our random, random story for the day. But today is no laughing matter. We're going to talk to you guys about what happened last week. As we all know, there's always been a problem with black culture, minority culture, and our justice system. If you don't think there's a problem, you need to take a look in the mirror or maybe just look at the things around you. Because it's plain as day. And what I mean by plain as day, just last year, May the 25th, 2020, black man, George Floyd, goes into a convenience store. He buys a pack of cigarettes with a so-called counterfeit bill. Later came out in trial that the clerk even said he may not even known that the bill was counterfeit. But that's neither here nor there. Right now, he buys a pack of cigarettes and then the clerk calls the police. 17 minutes later, after the first squad car arrived on the scene, Floyd was unconscious, pinned beneath three officers, showing no signs of life. Now, as far as justice goes, it took almost a year and our jurors during this trial deliberated for more than 10 hours over two days before coming to their decision. That decision was justice, accountability for what you've done. Derek Chauvin found guilty of all three charges for the killing of George Floyd. Now, Boogie, what were those charges? Second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. Now, we celebrated this. It was a great victory. It was a small one, but it was a great victory. And hopefully the start of our justice system may be recognizing what really needs to be done or what needs to be changed. Jay, um, what do you think about this? I mean, I I think it's a a small victory, and I use the word victory lightly because the the way I equate this verdict is it's essentially like if your your house was flooding, right? You you got a hole in your wall and water's pouring in. All this verdict was was a single brick into that hole. It doesn't stop the water. It helps build momentum to fix the the flood that's coming in. But all of the injustice that has been experienced and continues to be experienced is not fixed by this one verdict. Um, I, if anything, this was probably the most obvious verdict. We all saw on our phones exactly what happened. Uh, And so I think it's a step in the right direction, but by no means does this cauterize the entire wound and actually stop the bleeding uh, when it comes to kind of the issues that are minority, particularly black brothers and sisters face on a regular basis. You know, I think we all saw in the media, particularly like the right wing media kind of jumping in on, on and pouncing on some of these speeches that were given about the verdict to think the most obvious one was Maxine Waters prior to the jury being sequestered, going out and saying we need to get confrontational. I don't know, E, if you want to play that clip. Uh, 
but the judge openly admitted that, you know, she may have given grounds for something on appeal. I think Joe Biden came out and said something about the verdict before it was read as well. Like we were all hoping for the verdict that came down, but I think politicians putting their foot in their mouth, trying to score political points, uh, actually did a disservice to this case because his legal team has the ability to come through and say these jurors were swayed. They were given the threat of violence, which I don't feel like Maxine Waters was actually saying let's cause violence. She was just saying, let your voice be heard, get confrontational. Um, But I wish politicians would stop politicizing this crap and trying to score political points Um, when you know damn well they're not actually out there fighting for justice. They're fighting for re-election and fighting for money and fighting for camera time. I think Charles Barkley said it said it best when he's like politicians out here just trying to pit us against each other. And I think that's a prime example of that. But well, well, Jay, man, I definitely can agree with you on that statement when it comes to some politicians. I don't think that for all politicians, because there are some politicians that did fight for those rights and those injustices and different things like that in the past. And some are still fighting today. Hence that why I don't only want to just talk about the Floyd case or verdict, but I want to talk about the injustice across the board when it comes to minorities, specifically black or African-American people. See, we deal with a justice system supposedly set up to protect us all, but instead it causes us to have to deal with the anxiety of being pulled over by a police officer or even having our kids being pulled over by a police officer and just hoping that a routine traffic stop doesn't turn into a shooting or a killing of our child. And that's just one of the things that we have to deal with. But there's a laundry list full of things we have to deal with. As I said before, dealing with our justice system or dealing with education in our education field. Like, I can't receive the same education as a child that wasn't in the hood. That needs to change. It should be equal across the board. And let me mention nutrition. You go to the hood, from the hood, we have all the wrong food choices. But as soon as I step two feet out of the hood, I see whole foods. I see sprouts. I see all these restaurants that have organic, natural foods. Those options aren't there for us. And when those options are available for us, it's when our cities and state governments allow big investors to come in to build new apartment complexes and more condos which makes the neighborhoods more attractive for businesses to start just to increase the value of their neighborhood. We call that gentrification. We're bringing everybody together. But in actuality, the people that call those places home have to leave and find another area. Some of them don't find another area. They end up living with relatives or poor on the streets, increasing our poor population or in L.A. increasing skid row. And that doesn't only happen to black people. That happens to tons of minorities that are in those poor neighborhoods are not middle class, if there even is a middle class anymore. But that happens to a a lot of people I know, whether you're black, Mexican, Asian, Filipino. Um, Boogie, I know you have something to say. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a huge believer in environmental 
stimuli, right? So nature versus nurture. Uh, yeah, I, I highly believe that if you change the environment, you can change a lot, right? So, you know, not just focusing solely on race, because then we, you know, you always get the proponents that are like, it's like the all lives matter movement, right? And then the blue lives and stuff like that, where they're focusing more so on people's race and background rather than the message that is trying to get put out there. So number one, I think it's change the environment. We were talking about it a little bit ago. Uh, education is going to be a huge thing, right? So, but in particular, setting some measurable goals as corporate as that sounds, uh, you need something to be able to aim for because you're not going to change. I mean, you said it hundreds of years of the way some people think and it's ingrained in some cultures and every, you're not going to change that overnight. You're not going to be able to just do a complete 180 on it, but by systemically changing environments, changing the rhetoric in particular as well. I think right now the current rhetoric going on leaves a lot to be desired. I think in some cases the focus is on or in the wrong areas. Certain cultures feel like you know, they've been singled out, they're being targeted, they need, they feel like they don't have a voice. And then on the other side, it's like, well, everybody matters and everybody, nobody really knows. So it's education on both sides. I don't mean just in underserved areas, right? It's everywhere. Because right now, uh, depending on where you are in the United States, you Google the same thing, a certain rec uh, recommendation or um, you know, thing that pops up is going to be different depending on where you're at, right? So if you subscribe to one news source or you watch certain videos, you're only going to get those videos, right? So it's educating everybody, changing the environments. Um, and then like you said, E, getting that recognition so that people see that, hey, there is a problem. Yeah. And then, you know, devoting the necessary resources and time to that, but also not uh, keeping others away because there's also the rhetoric out there. If you're white, you can't talk about such or you can't have an opinion on it. Or like in another example, if you're a man, you can't have an opinion on things that involve women. So, no, I think one key point there is you are absolutely living under a rock and I can't take you seriously if you can't even admit that there's a problem. There's yeah. plenty of people out there who act like this is overblown. People are making these things up. They pull the data argument, look at all this data. But we all know and we've witnessed if you see a white person and a black person commit the same crime, commit the same traffic violation, or not even if they commit the same thing, the underlying assumption is that the black person has done something wrong immediately. Like white people get the benefit of the doubt all day long and black people don't for people not to be able to recognize that and see that with their own eyes is I think why we're starting off on such different places, right? Like you can see that black people are treated differently and have been since the founding of this country when they were brought over as slaves. Like if you can't even recognize that basic truth, 
we can't have a conversation and move forward because you just, your head's in the sand and you're acting like there's no issue whatsoever. So how can you develop solutions and resolutions to solve a problem that you don't even admit exists? Like that's the biggest thing that I can't get past. 100%. Can, can I give you an example of my own ignorance? So do y'all, re, y'all recall when there was all the news coverage over the statues and shit being pulled down, right? Of like Confederate the, the generals. Confederate statues. Yeah. Yep. So at first in my mind, I was like, tear it down, leave it up. I don't give a shit. But then it, you know, kind of dawned on me. I was like, okay, if I was a black person, how would I feel if I had to walk by a statue of a person who was a top leader in a movement that was, or in a war that was solely fought to keep slaves? If you were a Jew, would you want to walk past a statue of Hitler or exactly. SS propaganda or Nazi stuff every day and remind you of the evil that happened? No, yeah. you would not. Exactly. So that's me admitting initially my own ignorance. But the argument is, oh, it's history. It's history. Yeah, but those motherfuckers didn't win. Like, Although there are some people, surprisingly, out there that think that the South won the war. I, I don't understand that, but I'm not, you know, not to get into that part. What I'm getting at is everybody is capable of changing their mind. Everybody's ignorant in something, right? Mm-hmm. Not to mention the more you learn about things, the more you realize how little you do know. So while, you know, yes, I was ignorant in something, you know, I took the time to give it some thought and boom, it dawned on me. But that's also my background. First off, I, I don't think it should have been up anyway. Tear that shit down because you lost. But uh, on the flip side, it's like you got to take in other people's perspectives, walk a mile in their shoes type of scenario, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, I believe that a lot of the shootings, I believe that a lot of the disagreements and a lot of the hate and hatred towards different cultures comes from other cultures not educated on the other person's culture, not educated on their background. We have social media, we have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have all these different news stations and all these different media companies, TMZ and whatever. And they put out all this stuff. And if I'm, I don't have to be a white kid. I, I can be a just a black kid. And I look at somebody that talks like, well, good morning, neighbor. My name is Bob. It's great to meet you. Instantly, I'm stereotyping in my head because I never met a white person. And if I go to Beverly Hills for the first time, I'm probably going stereotype him as a Mr. Rogers fragile white dude or something. Or if there's someone talk like, hey, son, you want to go out here and hunt, go get some duck, eat some gators. You know what I'm going to be thinking then. Some good old boy in the South. Maybe he don't like black people. <laughs> I got stereotypes in my head, man. So I get why some cops or some white people, when they see a black person, a black person, you say, ah, and they're like, ah, because you're on social media, you're watching all these different shows, and you instantly think, oh, this black guy is going to rob me or hurt me because you haven't experienced the true culture. Well, that's why I think there's such an issue now with this kind of, from my viewpoint, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Dizzle, but like we're sliding back into like resegregation, right? So now you're seeing all these colleges have black only graduations or, um, you know, white graduations, whatever kind of separating by race rather than intermingling and allowing people to actually learn wow. from other people. And so I don't agree with 
that direction that we're heading. I don't think you get educated that way. I think you get inculcated and that only reinforces stereotypes. I think that's a step backwards rather than a step forward, putting people in bubble wrap. Like you need to experience a little bit of adversity and animosity. I'm not saying that black, like adversity is any way comparable to white adversity. Like you guys continue to have it way worse, but like, so what, like, you know, you you may I I don't really know, man, because it's, like, okay it's all it's all it's okay to be uncomfortable. That's the only way you no. grow and learn. Uncomfortable is great. I agree with uncomfortable. But to flat out, like it's been too many years and too many black people, even people modern day right now, black people that went to Harvard or went to Princeton or went to Yale. I have a cousin, Nick Brooks. He went to Yale. He Shout can tell Nick. you. We love <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nick can Shout tell out. you that he experienced um a little bit of racism. I mean, especially being the only black man in a white frat that'll get a few head turns. But he also was a part of one of the largest marches on Yale's campus. It was called racial insensitivity of the school's administration. This happened because of Halloween costumes that people wore that featured black faces and others that mocked Native Americans. At the same time, the school did have historic ties to slavery. But at the end, the university made a $50 million initiative to increase faculty diversity. So it was a good cause. But quoted by Nick himself, you got to go to your affinity groups to stay sane. I understand that. Like having your friend groups that have same situations, ideas, et cetera, the experiences that you have, like that can relate to you. That's super important. Uh, What I'm saying though, is like the younger that we can bridge that gap, the better it is for everyone. That's why I think sports are a beautiful thing because I started playing basketball and soccer with all different races, colors, creeds when I was young, before I had any of that negative racism. You remember in the NBA when uh, Montrose Hale or someone said to Luka Doncic, like, fuck out of here, weak-ass white boy. Yeah. And yeah. people were, like, so up in arms about that. And I'm like, yeah. I've been playing basketball since I was, like, seven years old. And you yeah. know how many times I've heard that? Like, I wore that as a badge of honor because it meant I was balling out and getting a skin. Balling. You was balling. But the fact that people couldn't take that slight statement just shows you how ridiculous it is because black people and people minorities experience that to the one millionth power on a regular basis. And it's much more vicious attacks. It's things that affect their livelihood. They literally die when they have police interactions. But you couldn't handle an NBA player calling Luka Doncic a white, weak-ass white boy in the midst of heated com- competition. Like That's how warped people's senses. Like, oh, it's my opportunity to stand up and say, you know, white people experience racism. <laughs> Black people experience that on a way more significant degree and you couldn't even take a small taste that wasn't directed at you, but your entire race and you ran with that. Like, Absolutely. now imagine waking up and living Black every single day and then come talk to me. So exactly. it just shows you the hypocrisy that people don't understand. Speaking of numbers, people always quick to throw those numbers. And I think, um, Boogie, you got that. Right. So um, on Statista, right, just number of people shot to death by the police in the U.S., uh, you will see there that more white people are being killed by the police, right? So that's a, that's a common uh, thing that many people come to as well. 
what are you talking about? More white people are killed. But when you look at the overall population by race, it's it's crazy. And I didn't even realize this, but in the millions, right? We're talking about white people. In 2019, there were 250.52 million white people in the US and black or African-American, 44 million, right? So when you look at the people shot to death by police, um, for black people, it's a little more than half of the white people getting shot. So, but the the disparity between the actual population is huge, right? You heard it, 255, or I'm sorry, 250 million white people to 44 million black people. So, you know, you got to look at the broad picture of it. Yes, overall, more white people are shot. But when you look at the percentage of white people versus black people, those numbers are a lot more significant. And also from Statista, we want to talk about the education attainment when it comes to blacks in the total population here, though it is increasing and getting a little bit better compared to 1940, when it was only 1% of black people completed a four-year degree of college. Now we've raised that since 2019 to 26.1%. And then we talk about the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate for blacks versus whites has always been double, double, double the rate every single time, except for when the pandemic hit in 2020, it came close to being even. And that was due to workers in essential jobs, which are disproportionately held by African-Americans and other people of color, which prevented them from falling into a discriminatory first fire, last hire phenomenon. Essential jobs are often in the low earnings sector. Do not offer hazard pay, but put workers on higher risk of contracting coronavirus. Even with their disproportionately higher presence in essential jobs, African-American workers still experience high unemployment rates compared to whites. And that's crazy to me. And then you have me think about how we get locked up for stupid crimes like having just a little bit of weed on it. In some states, we get locked up. Well, I think you can even take it a level deeper. It's like also when white people are committing those same exact crimes, what is the outcome in the judicial sentencing of those individuals? Black people tend to get much harsher sentences. Um, they get much less leniency. Just even take a look back at, uh, remember that Stanford rapist kid, Brock Turner, who like raped and sexually assaulted on it was one woman or multiple women he ended up getting six months in like house arrest like if that was a black person he would have gotten 15 years without the possibility of parole and no one would have batted an eye well and we were talking about it earlier too like the fact that you can pay right to get out of some sentences or to get lighter sentences or to get out early whatever the case is the fact that you can pay is already a huge issue right because obviously there's going to be certain people who are much more readily able to pay to get out of the sentences. And then of course there are others who they're stuck with that max sentence or they're stuck because they don't have those resources. Absolutely. And that's why we have organizations and people who are fighting every day to deal with all of these issues that we deal with every day, not just for black people, but for minorities in general. I want to highlight a few of them. The Akinati Foundation. It was founded by Latifah Simmons in Oakland. The Akinati Foundation mission is to support the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism. 
they're not just fighting for black people. They're fighting for all minorities. Next, I have Esmeralda Simmons. She's a civil rights attorney and former executive director of the Center of Law and Social Justice at Megar Evans College in Brooklyn, New York. I applaud her as she continues to fight for the quality of public education for students of color. And that's really needed. I mean, we are a product of our environment. I mean, you can't help if you were just born in the hood and you don't get that quality education. We just want to be on the same playing field. So it's a much needed thing. Now, continuing on with Michelle Alexander. She's a professor at uh, Ohio State University, the Ohio State University for all my people that are Buckeye fans there. She fights for racial oppression and she has a book called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. I encourage everyone to read that book. I mean, you do live in America and you have the right to know about the people that you live with in your country. Educate yourself on that culture. Check it out. Quick, quick life hack, y'all. Audiobooks if you don't like to read. Also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, those, those, those individuals I definitely wanted to highlight because people don't know about these programs. People don't know about these individuals out here that are fighting for certain things because that is some of the stuff that I actually hear about when black people reach out. It's like, okay. Well, who's fighting? Who's saying something? You're protesting, but who else is moving things? These people that I'm mentioning, these people are out here. These are politicians. These are people that are out here fighting, trying to get things done. Well, you know who else is doing something really cool? Kevin Hart. You ever heard of him? Pretty funny. (laughs) What he's doing is he created a program for inner city youth called Financial Fitness, in which he's going in and educating people on how finances work, how to take care of your money, because he always tells the story about when he got his first big paycheck for like 200 grand, he went and spent it on a bunch of dumb stuff, um, items instead of assets. Um, and the next time he got his next big paycheck, he owed so much money and everything else that check was gone. So now he's taking that stuff that he's learned and trying to educate the youth. So when they come into money, they know how to set up their finances and they don't get caught up in this trap that everyone across every racial spectrum often does and spending their money in dumb ways. So uh, there's a bunch of good people out here doing good things. Like we need more of those types of programs out there because you need to give people the tools, you know, teach a man to fish, right. Versus fishing for them, like help them develop these skill sets at an early age. Definitely, Jay. And I did want to highlight just a few more of these organizations that I would like everyone to look out for. B-I-T, Blacks in Technology, is the largest community and media organization that focuses on black women and black men in the technology industry. Also, the Association of Black Psychologists. The Association of Black Psychologists was established to promote the advanced profession of African psychologists influence and affect social change and develop programs where psychologists of African descent can assist in solving problems of black communities and other ethnic groups. And last but not least, I'd like to mention BMLP. That's the Black Movement Law Project. They provide legal support to local communities throughout the country as they demonstrate against police brutality and systemic racism. Now, all of these organizations that I mentioned are awesome organizations, and you can get a list of these and more if you all go to swirl.io forward slash woke. We'll have all those up for you guys um, just so you can research the people, the podcasts and the organizations that we mentioned. That's it for today. It's Dizzle. It's your boy, Hollywood. It's Boogie. Thank you for listening to What They Talking. See you guys next week. Peace.
All opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not constitute financial advice in any way whatsoever. Nothing published or said by Swirl constitutes an investment recommendation, nor should any data or content published by Swirl be relied upon for any investment activities. Swirl strongly recommends that you perform your own independent research and or speak with a qualified investment professional before making any financial decisions.